To say that this past year has been challenging may be an understatement, but what an amazing year for learning. Today, we are joined by Wendy Wyatt, an accomplished people leader, educational expert, and community builder, to discuss some of the interesting developments we have seen in this new learning normal. What have we learned about leadership? What have we learned about the importance and impact of learning? And what can we all start doing to ensure success moving forward? It's a fascinating discussion with lots of great information you're sure to enjoy. Plus, we got another email. Although the questions that were asked aren't quite what you might expect. So get ready for another great episode. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Coach Judy, your host, and with me, as always, you love them, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. Dan. Hey man, how you doing? How's your week been? Fair to Midland. Fair to Midland. One of these days you're going to actually answer in a different uh, answer, and I'm going to totally lose my mind. Like, oh. I did. I did. And you did in episode zero. I said, I'm doing good. And you're like, no, 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 wait. <laughs> That's right. We should make a uh, Fair to Midland t shirt, really, and then sell it. Although I bet they already exist. Do you think they I, may exist? I had a friend who got me a Fair to Midland coffee mug. And it is fantastic. All right, we'll have to put a, we'll have to put some kind of thing on top, like Dan the Man. Oh yeah, fair to Midland <laughs> on the back. That would work. All right. Um, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you coming back. Um, that's fantastic. Also with us, you love her, um, Abby Dawson. Everyone. <laughs> Hey, thanks for getting my long cut in. Can't be done by Dan. That's great. How's your week been? Great. I mean, if it was any better, I'd be on fire. So, Well, we would hope that you wouldn't catch fire because <laughs> that would probably be bad. Although it may improve the ratings of our show. So, you know, I cannot promise or, or um, you know, deliver the, the fact that we may have to set Abby on fire. Uh, to improve time, time out, time out. Yeah. Scott, yes, you are aware that this is a podcast, so nobody would even see the fire. I have to think about that. That's troubling. That's it is troubling. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen. Um, in the interest of expediency, and so that we can hear from our special guest, we do have a very special guest with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Like to introduce you, our dear friend Wendy Wyatt. Hi, Wendy. Hello, hello. Wendy, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight. You've got a really awesome topic this week, really timely, and I'm super excited to get into it. Uh, but before we get into it, we actually got another email. Hey, it's email time. Yes, this is email number two, and I'm, imagine that it's actually titled 
the second email. Uh, Abby, would you do us a favor and read our uh, email this week? Yeah. So Glenn B. wrote, I've always wanted to know the answer to these very important questions. I doubt that even deep thoughts could give the satisfaction and solace of an answer. I figure the only real educators I dare even to say superheroes of knowledge, marbles of Marvel or DC Universe of Training have the ability to answer, and that's you, the fabulous learning nerds. I want you to dig down deep inside yourselves and help me better understand the world. And he's given us five questions. Okay, in the interest of time, because I want to give Wendy as much time as we can, but I do want to get her input on this. Um, let's just stick with question number one. We can come back to the other questions, um, say, next week or when we have a little more time. That's on. By the way, I'm really suspicious of Glenn B. Because he, the only other Glenn B. I know is uh, one who was a recent guest a few weeks ago. Um, so we'll have to see what the uh, questions uh, look like. So Abby, go does, ahead. does seem super sus. It does. <laughs> it does. I love how you threw out sus in an attempt to be uh, relevant. As the, as the cool kids say. <laughs> God, for a minute, I'm like, oh, suspect. Okay. All right. Great. All right. <laughs> Abby, question number one. Once you read it, we'll, uh, we'll have a discussion. Go. Question number one. Is cereal a soup? Why or why not? Is cereal a soup? Why or why not? Yeah, this is a Brumley question. 100%. <laughs> well, that was solved. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to turn this over to, to Wendy. Wendy. Oh, man. This is like deep thoughts. But I feel like I was like foreshadowing, prepping for this because I actually had a mug of cereal today and I haven't had cereal in like months. So maybe it was like subconsciously that I knew this was gonna be asked today. And as that question, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, no, of course it's not. It's not a soup, it's, it's breakfast. It's milk and it's something inside of it. And then I was like, wait, but soup has milk and it's a liquid. So I don't really know how to answer this except that I wouldn't eat soup for breakfast, but I would eat cereal for breakfast. Would you eat cereal for lunch or dinner? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the difference. I would eat cereal any time of day, but I would not eat soup for lunch. I mean, for breakfast. Like I have my, my standards. I even have my limits. So that's the only way that I can even say that cereal is not soup. What is your cereal choice, Wendy? Oh, hands down, life cereal. Forever. Life so cereal. Life. Solid pick. Yes, it's delicious. I mean, all the way back to 1986. Like I don't go past that. That's my. That's all. I, that's all I eat. Life cereal, Mikey. That's it. I was just gonna say, hey, Mikey. He likes yeah, it. Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, cereal. Is it a soup? So, all right. In like the vein of like other cold soups, like what is it, gazpacho? Like I think the only thing separating cereal from soup is prep time so cereal is cereal unless you like put like a dash of cinnamon or a dash of sugar in the milk and at that point that's a dessert soup dessert soup i mean i got nothing else have you had dessert soup this is new to me i mean every kid has looked at a bowl of cereal and been like how would this be with an extra spoonful of sugar i better find out yeah just kids 
Just kids, though. Yeah, definitely just kids. Uh, but I will say that uh, off-brand uh, cinnamon check cereal with a little dash of sugar is delicious. Just a theory. Not a personal experience from probably this week. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I've always thought that cereal had to be like sweet, some kind of sweet. I'm with you on the spoonful of sugar. Um, but Cinnamon Toast Crunch has been thrown in shimp tails. So I don't know. Maybe my theory is... Is null and void these days. That is the most nondescript answer ever. So isn't <laughs> it super not, Abby? I would say cereal is not a soup. All right, thank you. Yeah. All right, is cinnamon toast crunch your cereal du jour? I was a big fan. I don't know if I'll ever get past seeing some guy on Twitter say he found a shrimp tail in it. So oh. Yeah. yeah, that's got to be fake for sure. 100%. I hope. Uh, I'm going to just be solid and say it's not. There's no way. And Wendy answered this like, I would never have soup for breakfast ever. Even cold soup would never have it. But I can have cereal all day long. Cereal is a glorious thing. Soup is either hit or miss for me. So I'm going to say no. And I'm a, a honey nut Cheerios guy. And I can eat that without the milk. And have on occasion eaten it without milk. Dan? So you would eat cereal all day long, which I totally get. That's fantastic. Soup is hit or miss. So is it maybe not cereal's difference, but maybe it's the soup's fault. Maybe soup is cereal and it's just bad cereal. Maybe. But I but you can have soup with very little in it, like tomato soup, right? And but I think cereal, by definition, has to have things floating in it to be fun. That is probably the worst description of cereal ever. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that, I was thinking. Yeah, that's solid. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not oatmeal. Oatmeal's oatmeal. Oatmeal is not cereal. I'm going to leave this this session tonight. I'm going to look at my kid and be like, hey, would you like some milk with some things floating in it? And she's going to say no. And I'm like, I mean cereal. And she's going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I like cereal. <laughs> Well, I, hey, we have to have clean, crisp definitions, and I think we'll get into communication <laughs> on that a little later. So that's my definition of cereal. If you would like to participate in this discussion of cereal and soup, thanks, Glenn Brumley, email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com, and we will add you to the discussion. All right. Uh, we will go ahead and skip the rest of the questions and maybe bring them up later because I thought that was great fodder for our guests. But, Wendy... We have talked all this time. We know very little about you. And so we would like to give you at least five minutes to talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and what makes you so awesome with a little topic we call, What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Wendy, what's your deal? Thank you so much for having me on the show. Here's a little bit about myself. Uh, so first and foremost, like I'm a red lip loving, flower accessory wearing, Enneagram type two gal who is currently on this mission, uh, this like world mission, so to speak, to change the question from what do you do to how do you make an impact? Like that's a big thing for me right now. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about that when we go further in the show. 
Um, so in a nutshell, I'm simply a woman, I'm a wife, I'm a mama, I'm a leader, I'm a trainer uh, with a knack for storytelling and training and coaching. And I do it through the ever so wholesome world of connection. That's a big, a big part of it. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what we all want, right? So we all want to be connected to something, whether it's to a company or to a product, to a team, whatever it is, that's what we all crave. And I think even after 2020, we crave and want it more. So because of that, I have a deep, fond love for training and development. I've been in the realm for close to 10 years now. Um, I've been a people leader for over 15 years. There is something around development training and coaching and those aha moments that just speak so deeply to me and this goes on so many layers so that's a little bit about me in a nutshell that is fantastic and i i love how you want to reframe this whole world into how we make impact my experience is that very little people really consider that much these days they're really about how much can i get done versus what's the impact of what i do Right. So if we can change our worldview to that, we can do some really great stuff. All right, Wendy. Hey, thanks so much for telling us uh, about yourself. I'm super glad that you uh, chose to spend your time here with us tonight. And I know you've got this really awesome topic uh, that is really, really relevant and really current. And so I want to dive into it. So, folks, let's go ahead without further ado and get into the topic of the week. Wendy, what do you want to talk about tonight? So what I wanted to talk about and get like a deeper into is around the success and the new learning normal, like post COVID, we're going from 2020 to 2021 now and kind of this before and after and what that looks like and some things on the horizon and things to think about. So that's my topic that I'd like to take a deeper dive into with each of you. That's really awesome and very, very relevant. One of the things that I think is really important is, man, as I look back at the year, because we're coming up on a year, right? Maybe a little over a year of all this fun that we've all had to endure. And a lot of people like to gripe. And I, I always like to look back and go, man, I learned so much, right? And as a learning nerd, um, having a year with this much learning, I get really super excited about it. Go ahead. Why don't you dive into it? Um, explain to us, like, we're thinking about success in this new normal. What are some things that we need to be considering? So one thing I want to, I was reading this interesting article recently, and it was about where people are at within their job search, right? So we know that COVID happened and there was a lot of unemployment, a lot of layoffs and furloughs and such like that. But now that we're kind of coming off of that and companies are starting to hire now, and they're starting to revamp and bring back some different positions. Because I even think last year, a lot of companies learned, oh, I can do this a different way. And it might have opened up another new position, right? So I think we're seeing a lot of that happening in companies right now. But something that I really have thought about is like this whole, like how training and development and how it relates to overall retention, right? So um, back early in my career, I, I worked in a, a retail store as I worked in a cosmetic. And I remember I had a whole team of 30 people and every day they were like, oh, I'm only, I'm just a cashier or I'm just doing shipment or I'm just that and just this. And I worked in cosmetics and it was, 
you know, I was telling you this earlier that we're open at 10 a.m. and we were dressed in all black and had red lipstick on and gold glitter and our hair all done. We can be very, very intimidating. And I would have these these conversations with my team back then is saying, you're not just, you are here to make an impact. You're here to make a difference. Like we would have anybody from brain surgeons to policemen and women and firemen and women and so forth and come in and say, these are individuals that might've taken six, seven, nine months to build up the confidence to walk through that door and to ask you a question about their skincare or about their hair care or a new lipstick because they're going on a hot date or something. And you have this ability to make that impact. So that's what I mentioned earlier about changing what do you do to how do you make an impact? Because uh, people want loyalty and they want connection and they want something that they can feel good about. So I thought about that, how it relates to retention. So now fast forward many, many years now to like, you know, COVID and the world of training and how people are experiencing layoffs and so forth and reorg structures. So I read the statistic that said that right now, even after a crazy year and people are starting to get hired and new job openings are happening, that over 50% of people are still looking for a new job because 42% of companies they have felt had lost their culture. They've lost their training. They've lost the development that was so invested in pre-COVID. And a lot of that reason is because of the financial aspect. If I had a business and I lost all this money because I had to stay closed, was I going to pay to keep my electricity on or was I going to pay to have fresh flowers in the building at all times, right? So a lot of that, that was a really great analogy to be like, sometimes that training and development piece is what gets lost. And because of that, as it relates back to culture, in the next 12 to 18 months, companies, over 50% of companies are probably going to see one of their highest turns as it relates back to now, either my old company is hiring back and I had a great training and development and culture at that company from going back there, or I learned on some new skills in this new job that I had to take because of COVID. So how can I take that to a job that I want instead? Very fascinating what we're going to see in the world of training and development as it relates to culture retention in the next 12 to 18 months. Fascinating. It's it's a perfect analogy for someone who worked in the field for so long, like Wendy did. Um, when when I worked to support retail teams, what I was always trying to remind people was training is not just a function of getting people to learn things. It's also where you really introduce them to a company and a brand and make them feel connected. We have to do both. Um, that's really where you find success. And folks who've been out in the field connecting field folks to a corporation that they may never like visit HQ, they get that. They understand the value of that. Um, and it's just so important now more than ever. Everything is a job until you factor in culture. As soon as like, as soon as like I'm talking about my workplace's culture, well, now I have a career. Now I have a place where I work, not just a job. So I, I love that. I love that perspective. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I know that when all this started, I was on a call. I, I, once a week, I try to listen into webinars. You know, those free webinars you get sucked into that turn into sales pitches, right? Right. So, um, and that's fine because I, I learn something. I meet new people, and it's all great. But I remember it was uh, through Training Magazine, and I have to apologize for the person that came on. But one of the big wigs over training really took ten minutes at it, and he's like, "We." 
are super excited about the future because the impact of what we do has never been more apparent. Like the value that we bring from a learning and development perspective moving forward is going to become really, really important. And so I love that you bring this up, Wendy, this idea of, of retention and culture and you know all the different culture swings that companies had to go through. And, and now I really feel like we have the opportunity to be part of the building blocks of those foundations for developing culture, really defining what good leadership and development is, what good culture is, uh, applying everything that we learned from a DNI perspective into that, which is huge for if your company isn't you know formulating their DNI strategy based on everything that we learned last year. I don't know where you're at, but I feel like every big company is, is looking like that. And and the people that are going to move and shape and and create the the new normal moving forward from a culture perspective is is us. So I love your perspective with that. Agreed. I mean, I think we all learned so much last year. And even we were all in such a, just the world was on this, you know, just rinse, wash, repeat, right? Up until last year. And then it was, we have to get innovative and we have to do this quick. I mean, I know that I've, I've been part of pilots that were, you know, three, four, five, six months. Let's look at KPIs. Let's look at, oh, let's do this PowerPoint instead and make this one change. But last year it was, we got to do this in the next 72 hours. We got to flip a switch and we got to do it quick because there were a lot of things happening and so much of the unknown. And we learned so much in that aspect of it about, what really matters most? What do people want the most? What do people need to feel impacted? And what do people need to feel connected to a company that was going through the unknown last year too? So I think it was just really an interesting year and some great stuff has come out of it because of that. Kind of going forward to your point in this training and development in this learning world because of it. Yeah, we're seeing trends in learning development around and leadership development around this idea of adaptability and flexibility as a key indicator for leadership success versus all of my tenure. All of my tenure, if I were to go ahead and examine the C-suite mentality, it's all been about, hey, what are those things that I can count on, right? What are, where's, where's my consistency? Like, I should expect this kind of performance or I could just, should expect this kind of performance. In a world where you no longer have consistency, the ability to adapt becomes crucial. Mm -hmm. And the ability to be vulnerable at the same time. I think last year, in so much of a virtual learning environment, we had to deal with kids coming on camera, animals barking in the background, somebody ringing your doorbell. And I think free that, it wouldn't have been, I'm going to use this word in air quotes, accepted. But right now, because we were all in this together, and the more that I heard about, to your point, Scott, about adaptability, it was about complexity. And it was about, I heard more about emotional intelligence and empathy training, as well as vulnerability. I think even Brene Brown really talks about that so well in her Netflix special and all her podcasts and books about the more vulnerable you can be in a training perspective and letting people in that you're not perfect, the more somebody will feel connected. And I think that's what also came out of it, too. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to make a difference. And that's a key difference right now. I love that. I, I love this idea of, like, of vulnerability. It's like 
such a key component of the human experience of the implied trust that a good culture represents. And I think it's the thing that like people get so afraid of. Like everyone's like, oh, I have to be perfectly polished and perfectly presentable. And I have to be this absolute positively best version of myself. And like, yeah, you should be professional. I'm not saying not to be, but like you should show up to work to be human. We hire humans. If we could find machines and robots to do this, chances are we would have already replaced humans with them. Yeah. And not just um, vulnerability for people who report to someone, but like my boss today during a Zoom call with his entire org of like 40 or 60 people was having trouble making something work in Zoom. And he said, sorry, guys, like, I'm just trying to figure it out. I don't know why it's not working. It was a great moment for us to see he's a, a human, but it also like all of a sudden people are chiming in going, try this boss, try this. And it was like a great bonding moment for just the team to be like, we can come together and help each other. Needing help is not a bad thing. It's and we can together make it a better thing and make it work. So I, you know, it's it's been we've had some good moments, too, but it has to come from both directions. I think I think it was. I was texting my direct boss saying, this is great seeing him as like a human, a person who's saying, I don't know, I'm trying. <laughs> That's great. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, retention and culture, big changes there, continue to see big strides there. Love your idea of vulnerability, adaptability, flexibility, being human. What are some other things that we're noticing in the new normal that you wanted to talk about? Another aspect of it, too, is, um, and Abby, you just touched on this, too, talking about seeing, I believe, as your director or, or something in that position, messing up on Zoom. Like, I mean, that it was just mortifying, you know, a year ago. And then now it's like, okay. And I think what it leads to is this, is this lesson or just learning around approachability. And then to your point is that we all put our pants on one leg at a time. If you do it two legs at a time good for you. You have super, super, super hero abilities there, but we all put our leg on, I mean, our pants on at one leg at a time. And I think there's this even approachability, whether from person to person or how we change, how we approach, how we're going to train individuals. And I think what we have seen now is that, again, going back, people want to know at the end of the day, I clock out at five o'clock, did I make a difference today? Did I make an impact? And that is even changing how the very, like, let's say onboarding, day one, I have now seen in many companies not talk about policy and procedure, right? And not talk about rules. And let me look at a handbook and you can do this from an HR perspective. We will get to that. What I want to do is get to know you. I want you to get to know me. And I want you to get to know this company. And I want you to see what we stand for. And I want to know that you made a good choice. Not only did we make a good choice hiring you, we made, you made a good choice coming to us. And I've seen that so much louder and even more pronounced in companies right now as they are going into this, you know, new normal, so to speak, and about how we start off training on day one. I think if companies didn't realize before how important it is when they couldn't walk people into a, tra a training room through the, the foyer impress them with their building, introduce them to all these people in person. They've learned now that if you have to onboard people remotely or you have to onboard people quickly, you've got to get that piece right and you've got to be really intentional and thoughtful about it. Um, 
And I think it's a skill that people who want good, good training and, and good retention and good value in their programs are going to really start looking for. I was just going to say like a hundred percent, like this, this new normal that we're in. Uh, I have somebody on my team who I have never met in person. I have never met this person face to face. I interviewed them. I hired them. I brought them onto my team and I was like, cool, here's this new person. And like, nobody on my team has met this person face to face. They don't know about like, like they don't have like the past of our company culture that they're having to like remember and retain. So all they have for like a culture perspective for the company I work for is the now, like all they've known is my company during COVID. And it's, it's interesting because like good news, it's not a huge difference, but there are little tiny things where this person will be like, Oh, like what about this? And I'll have to be like, Oh yeah. Uh, that's something we would have done like at this place in the office building but now we sort of kind of do it every once in a while on like a really big zoom call and you're like oh, okay cool great and like okay not a bad thing but just that perspective switch having that person who again doesn't know my company or my company's culture except in this time like every time it hits me it always catches me sideways or i'm like oh uh oh yeah i'm still i'm still adjusting it's a year and a half later and like uh uh, uh yeah <laughs> well, it really has spawned the necessity for innovation, right? So I'm always thinking about how can we do this better? Not that we shouldn't always think about that anyway, right? If it ain't broke, break it, right? So if it's working fine, there's always an opportunity to do it better. But man, almost every day I have a conversation of there's got to be a better way of doing this. So let's, let's go ahead and, and give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? Right in our space, what the worst that can happen is that we we actually learn something like, oh, it didn't work. All right, let's try something different. Right, so um, yeah, the the onus and the opportunity to to innovate and to do it with the mindset of the worst thing that comes out of this is that we learn something and we get better is a really important uh, piece to at least my view of learning and development. So if we're talking about now this, you know, how to make an impact and you know, to Dan's point about, oh my gosh, this, you know, oh, we did that in person or uh, oh, oh, this little procedure. And when we get back into the office, I'll show you that and so forth. I, I've said that now, you know, at my current company a couple of times, and I've had people say it to me, they're like, oh, when we're on site, we'll show you this, we'll show you this. So <clears throat> I think what comes out of that, what I've really seen now is that more important is that there's concise communication is everything and the more that you assume that somebody knows what you're talking about i guarantee the less they know what you're talking about and that comes from sharing a very right and tight and aligned vision and purpose up front and making sure that you have the right audience in the right place to give everything that you need so i call this like the lazy simon sinek reference i think we all know who Simon Sinek is, and he has this, you know, his uh, famous TED talk, and it talked about the why gets people to buy. And I think what happened is, is that we forgot the why, and we emphasize so much on the what and the how, that now we're starting to see this resurgence of why, and it comes with your vision and purpose, and it comes with making sure you have the right people at the right spot. So for example, 
if you're rolling out a new program and it happens to be a virtual platform, you have to make sure that you have the right people up front to get the buy-in in order for them to understand the impact that it's gonna have on their teams to make that difference, whether it's a KPI, whether it's customer service and ROI or a product or something. So it's really about making sure, I, I see a lot of times we collaborate on a bigger level and sometimes we get too much, especially in a virtual perspective. We could pull 20 people into a Zoom meeting now and ask, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? But sometimes it's that smaller, let's make sure we get this into the right audience first. And sometimes that starts with a VP first, getting alignment or director or senior manager and so forth. And then that trickle down. And that's key right now, because I saw a little bit of that flip-flop that happened last year, is that we put content first and vision and purpose in front of our teams or employees and so forth. And they aren't the ones that are gonna be bought into this vision and purpose. We need to start bigger and then work our way down. So that's what I call that, my lazy Simon Sinek reference, because he talks about, you know, you gotta get people, you know, people by the why. So that's really key there. And that's something that I'm starting to see a shift to, about that really concise communication is everything now. So important, because you can't buy, you can't walk by somebody's cubicle right now, or you can't, you know, look over somebody's, you know, knock on somebody's office door. So it's key. Wendy, so with these new pieces, so how do we, how do we help our teams understand that? Like, and how do we, have you found some ways to start building those new behaviors with your teams and coworkers? I, I go this, I call it my teenage angst and I don't even have a teenager, but I always say this is something that we go through. You got to identify first and foremost, your why, your who, what, where, when, why, and how, right? And I think if you miss any of those at any point and you don't have the correct people or the correct players in that, everything is going to kind of fall apart and you're not going to get the end result that you want. So I'm constantly saying, even right now, all right, so who's our who? How are we doing this? What are we doing? And answering these questions. And it seems so simple, but I think we took advantage uh, or, or something that was, we just assumed that it would get, was going to happen. And I think that now, whether, you know, like I said, like a virtual learning or we're doing a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting, you have to make sure you start that every single time. Who are we doing this for? Or who are the people doing it? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? How are we doing it? In order to answer the questions up front, in order to put the process into place. Because sometimes people want to put the process in the first, in place first before the person. And we can't do that because then that will just almost kind of be like that character from Charlie Brown that's like in the dirt all the time, rumbling across the floor. You'll just go back to square one. So his name was Pigpen, Pig by Pen. the way. That's <laughs> it. I called him Linus the other day and somebody said, No, that's the one with the blanket. I'm like, I don't remember his name. So yeah. Pigpen, write it down. <laughs> I loved Pigpen because he was always dirty. <laughs> And I was always dirty, so I could relate oh. to Big Pen. That's like Pandora's box right there, but we'll just keep it to a cartoon character, so. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you bring this up. I'm working on an executive pitch, and a few years ago I took this long training on how do you put the right kind of executive pitch together because 
you know, CEOs and VPs don't, you know, they, they're going to, the more slides you have, the more heartburn they have, right? So the more they're going to have a rage quit, right? So you have to have this, this format and everything. And man, I, I'm, so I'm trying to show off like, Hey, I took this class and here it is and whatnot. My mentor looked at it and he went, this is the kind of deck I used to put together five years ago. This is no longer how you should approach this. I'm like, Oh, he goes, I appreciate what you're doing. This is great. But let's just get to the damn point, right? So let's just get to the point. Like, here's what's, here's where we're at. Here's our solution done. Versus the, hate to say it, the very structured three-point analysis of here's where we're at, here's status quo, here's three things, using the rules of three and all that good stuff. Very interesting learning moment for me. But I'm really glad that I had that moment with someone that actually cares about me because I, I'm going to apply it and it's going to make my pitch a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. See, making that shift from what I want them to know versus what they need to know. That's exactly. hard. Yeah. But it, it matters. I, I will say, like, you talk about, like, took this class and somebody's saying, like, this is how you talk to executives and this is how you're going to talk to the C-level. And, like, here we are talking about, like, conciseness of communication and how important it is. But I think it, even that still goes back to, like, culture. Like, if you don't know who your leaders are, if you don't know your company's culture, it doesn't matter how many books you read or how many courses you take, you're, you're, you're going to get the approach wrong. You have to know the why behind your company's culture. And th that, that's what's going to, like, get your interest. If you're trying to get, like, an executive pitch, if you're trying to get the attention of your, of your, of your senior leadership, like, know your company's culture. The, the rest will fall into place. Yeah. I, uh, I worked so many years in customer service and we always said, if you always align with right, what is right with the client, you could never go wrong ever. Every decision had to be made about that. It was very client centric because if you did right by our client, everything else would fall into place, everything, because we were making the best right decision for that individual that walked through the door, either external or more importantly, I like to say, the internal client, which is the employee. But to your point, Scott, about I've seen like, you know, the executive pitches, I've seen people lay down 72 slides. And I don't know about you, but after three slides, I'm like, I am done. Like I, 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 you lost me after three. And I, I always say like, keep it simple. I know it's like this, you know, kiss it, keep it simple, stupid, or however you want to put it. But it's like, if you just get what Dan was saying, that why up front, what is important to the company? Why do we do it? And trickle down right after that and have your, I don't like to say this, but in this case, it makes sense. Have your boxes checked. Everything will go smoother after that. Whether the communication, whether the process, whether your end result will happen afterwards. Yeah, in my case, one of the things that I learned was that sometimes you don't even there, there's an implied why. Like everybody in the room knows we have an opportunity. So for me to spend even one slide talking about the fact that something's broken when everybody knows that it's broken is kind of a waste of time. Let's, hey, here's where we're at. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we want to do moving forward. Like, and I, especially today when I don't have enough time to do the things that I want to do for myself, any amount of time I get back to get things done is, is awesome. So I think that's really great one. One of the things you and I talked about before um, we had the opportunity to speak tonight was this idea of 
the disappearing of the jack of all trades when it comes to instructional design and, and training. Could you expound on that? Because I found that really fascinating. Uh, about the, the Renaissance woman or the Renaissance man that kind of knew a little bit of everything. Yeah, like the all-day ID, right, Dan? Do it all ID, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I actually, before we start talking about that, I want to hear your perspective first. So share a little bit more about this when you're talking about the jack-of-all-trades. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so, like, there's this, I, I don't know, in instructional design, in learning and development, there's this idea that, like, hey, in order to be successful, you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything. This idea that, like, you have to be this renaissance person. And there's so much stuff that, like, I suck at that I can't imagine, like, trying to, like, be good at all of that stuff. And without a doubt, though, I find myself in the same trap all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm not great at it, but I can make a video. Oh, yeah, I'm not great at that, but, but I could pull that together. Oh, yeah, I, I could design something for that. I, I could build this or I could build that. And, you know, like, does it get built? Yeah. Is it the best it could be? No, absolutely not. Agreed. I have this, this, uh, the jack of all trades. And it, it's almost like having like 10 glasses in front of you, right? And you have each glass, whether it's like a quarter filled and this one's a, a third of the way filled and this one's half filled, but you really want to focus all your attention. Where's the glass that is all the way filled, right? Like where is the one that is like filled up to the top, filled up your knowledge or let a, a friend of mine, she likes to call it living in your genius. Where are you living in your genius that you are so good at that you can make this impeccable all the time versus being kind of like half at everything else. And to your point, Dan, about this prepositional phrase, I could, but you know, would it be this? I could do that eh, if I did this. So I am like, to me, live in your genius, do what you do really well. And I'm going to take this down to a, a layer underneath this. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with this vulnerability. You have to know you're stuck, meaning you have to know what you're not good at in order to be okay and have the confidence and the vulnerability to go to somebody and say, this is not where I'm really great at. This is, I want to learn from you and teach me, but I would rather have you do this who excels in it and then me bring what I do really well with it together. And I don't know, I, I see some, some teams and some companies do that really well. And then I see some others that are like, no, I just want you to know how to do everything. And I just feel like it get, that gets a little muddled and it gets muddled. I love that message, Wendy. I mean, the first role I had where I really felt like um, I grew a ton and I built a lot of confidence. I worked for a woman who became a great mentor in my life. And she, I remember sitting down with her early on when I first came on and I said, uh, you know, I was writing a lot of content at the time. I said, I think I write really good content. Like I understand what people need. I understand how to structure it so they can access it quickly and effectively, but I'm just a terrible speller. And sometimes my grammar sucks. And she was like, I don't care. We can fix that. And it sounds like a small thing, but that was the first time I'd never heard it from a teacher. I'd never heard it from another boss for them to just be like, I don't care. Like, I don't care that you can't spell. That's not a problem. It's not why I hired you. And that was like a lightning rod moment for me 
and I took off in that role. Those things matter. Those acknowledgments that people are not perfect, but hold other value matter and matter so much. What you probably saw was a difference right there of your confidence grown, like tremendously because of that, because somebody said, I don't care that you can't spell. We'll go ahead and get Joe two cubicles down and have him spell because that's what he loves to do. He loves to take four letter words and put in 16 letter words instead. Like we'll toss in a semicolon and a comma in there too. Don't worry about it. And I think once you get to that, it will boost the confidence into that person. I'm sure, Abby, you've had a tremendous career, an excellent career of spanning so much that that little moment, not only did it propel you, but you're now being able to share that moment with other people to give them something to think about too. So you have this trickle effect of development, personal development happening because of that also. Yeah, there's a lot of synergy there too. Like if you're really a fan of strengths-based leadership, and I'm a huge fan of that, identifying and being humble and vulnerable around, I'm really good at this, but this person's better, so I'm gonna let them do this. You get better results all the way around. And, and I think the cultures, if we go back to what we first talked about, those cultures that really identify where the strengths lie, um, finding those gaps and filling those gaps to allow people to do what they do best every day, you just get better results. And with everything changing, man, you, that's just critical. Because this idea that, hey, as soon as things start to open up again, that we're going to be able to get back into the, you know, we have field reps that, that I support and the days of the 30, 45 minute in classroom training as a solid solution, not saying that we won't get those opportunities, but they're not going to make impact because it's that it's just not something that our clients have time or aptitude for. So identifying strengths allows us to be adaptable, dare I say, and produce better results and um, it helps people identify what a great opportunity that we have to identify hidden passions, talents, and skills, and, and really leveraging those into something that's, dare I say, magical. I, I love that idea. I love that idea of like focusing on like strengths. I feel like too often in too many corporate cultures, we tell everybody to like, well, like pull up your weaknesses, like find what your, find what your opportunities are and like lean into those. And what we end up with is a pool of average. Like, forget your weakness. If it's not harmful and not self-destructive, leave it. You probably developed it for a good reason. Lean into your strengths. Dive in. Like, nobody carries around marbles, and that's the only thing that's, like, perfectly polished and smooth. Otherwise, just be people and, like, find your strengths, embrace them, dive in. Yeah, imagine how cool it would be to work in a training org that focused on developing people's strengths. How fun would that be? <laughs> well, they exist and they're, and they're out there, and that's where good leadership comes in. I don't know, Wendy, one of the things that, that we spoke about briefly was this idea of not all the skills that were really valid and useful for us, you know, say a year ago, um, have as much weight. The idea that you can be awesome in the room full of people and that that translates over Zoom or Teams or whatever the hell you're using is not true. And if we can be vulnerable and um, say to ourselves, like, hey, I need to get better at this in order for me to, to move forward, I think is a really important 
thing for not only uh, all of us to understand and to recognize, but for leadership to identify as well and be humble about it and take a you know a positive approach to hey, listen, we're we're going to get good at this because we need to get good at this moving forward. If I can share a vulnerable moment here about I'm very open, like an open book when it talks about my failures. That's one of my favorite questions to ask in an interview when I'd interview teams is like, tell me your like most impressive failure. And that would throw people off. Like, you want to hear something bad I did? Yes, that's exactly what I want to hear. Not bad, like illegal, let's be real here, but something that like, you know, where did you fail and where did you learn from that? Right? Because that's where we learn the most. And I, if, you know, one of my, you know, I'll say this corporate, you know, talk around competencies is, was, always will be managing ambiguity. That is something that will be forever. If I had to have, you know, a development uh, a conversation right in front of me, managing ambiguity is going to be on there until the day I die. And I fought that for so long because I thought it didn't make me a good leader because I needed to have questions up front. At times in my earlier career as a people leader, <clears throat> I would be nervous to make a decision that I'd make a wrong one. So I, it, it, it held me back in a lot of ways until I had a previous district manager. And she literally looked at me and said, okay, that's something you're not good at. That's something you suck at, right? Yes. And she goes, you recognize it, you own it, you keep that in the forefront of your mind and you move on. And it was something that was so freeing instead of being like, well, we're going to develop 82 activities around this for the next 77 months for you to even go 1% better in it. It was this moment of recognize that's an opportunity for you. Keep it in the forefront before you get into a situation and you'll, it will grow from it. But just realize that's probably something you're always going to have and that's okay. And I think a lot of times everybody wants to take opportunities and do this magical change with them to all of a sudden turn them into strengths overnight. And I think if you recognize, I'll go back to what I said earlier, know you're stuck. I think a lot of times you'll get farther that way because of it. That is so awesome that I, it really feels like a, a great place for us to begin to wrap up. Um, Wendy, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed having you on here. You, you bring a great energy and I hope that we can have you back. Before we go, where can our audience find you and get more of your great stuff? If you would like to get into my heart and you'd like to get into my mind, I started a movement, and I say movement very loosely, uh, two years ago, and I called it Pep Talk with Dub Dub. So my name is Wendy Wyatt. So it was a joke that started with some of my former team members, and they would say, I'd love a pep talk with you. Thanks so much for the pep talk with Dub Dub. So it turned into an Instagram page, and there I highlight uh, strong individuals with what they would tell their younger self, donning red lipstick, uh, some thoughts I have in my head about, so it's okay to not be okay. So it is on Instagram, and it's Pep Talk with Dub Dub. Very beginning stages right now, website coming, and more to come with it as well, including a podcast. So again, Pep Talk with Dub Dub, all one word on Instagram. So Pep Talk with Dub Dub. Yep, like WW. D-U-B-D-U-B, dub-dub. All right, Wendy, hey, thanks so much for coming. We really appreciated your insights and knowledge. It was fantastic.
Daniel? Yes, Scott? Could you do us a solid and tell everybody how they can participate with us? Yes, 100%. Guys, if you haven't already, hit subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, help us grow the show, let's get it to more people. If you leave a comment, we'll be more than happy to read it on the air. If you haven't already, send us an email at learningnerdcast at gmail.com. Join in on the discussion. Listen, today we had a question about is cereal soup. So solid chance if you email us a question, we'll probably say it live to lots of people. Uh, Lastly, if you're on Facebook, hit us at Learning Nerds. And I said lastly, and now I realize that's a lie for everybody because there is one more. And that's Instagram where you can find us Fab Learning Nerds. Okay, I'm going to have you do that again okay. just because you moofed it up, and I don't know how to edit that. <laughs> so let's just say that again. You ready? Yeah, Daniel. Yes, Scott. Could you go ahead and tell our <laughs> listeners? Okay, Daniel. Yes, Scott. Oh, Jesus Christ. I've All got right. the giggles now. Like, this is set. I know you got the giggles. Dan, do us a solid and tell everybody how they can participate with the nerds. Absolutely. If you haven't already, hit subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Help us grow the show. Let's get it to more people. Leave us a comment and we'll definitely read it on the air. Email us at learningnerdcast at gmail.com. If you've got a question, join in on the conversation and discussion. Today we answered a question about is cereal soup. So pretty solid chance we'll read your question live. You can hit us on Facebook at Learning Nerds. And lastly, you can find us at Instagram, Fab Learning Nerds. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you, Wendy Wyatt, for just being awesome. I can't wait to go to your Instagram page and check out all the groovy stuff you got there. That's going to be it for us tonight. Hey, folks, we really want you to subscribe and share this podcast so we can grow a community of supporting and loving people. That's fantastic. If you leave us an iTunes review, we'll make sure we read it, unless your name is Glenn Brumley. With that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Wendy. And we're your fabulous learning nerds. Everybody have a fantastic week and we are out. Learning nerds.